Hello, my name is Susan, and I have the privilege of reading the sermon scripture, which is the first part of Mary's Magnificat, and I love the second part as well. But today we focus on the first part, verses 46 to 50 of, of Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is God's word. Amen. And Susan, we are going to get to the next passage next week, so great how that works out. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, uh, I ask that uh, um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight this morning and this time that we have to dig into your word together. Um, Would you, Holy Spirit, be present with us and moving in our midst, would you... um, Because you know each one of us individually, you know exactly where we're at, you know what we're going through, you know what we're facing, you know what we're excited about, you know what we're struggling with. Would you meet us in this text today? Would you apply it into each one of our lives? Uh, And as we get to the prayer time uh, towards the end of our time this morning, would you move Holy Spirit to draw up out of us those those, uh, areas of spiritual poverty and need that we can bring to you and have you transform them and even work through them in wonderful and powerful ways, Lord. So we want to anticipate that work even right now as we open up this beautiful, wonderful text this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a little context uh, on my life for those of you who don't know. Uh, over the last uh, while, we've been going through a season with my parents where they've moved out of their home in San Diego into a unit here in the Bay Area. And so that has put into motion a number of different um, things that needed to get done, caring for them. And of course, Thanksgiving comes and the kids come home. And so it's all this jumble of all these things happening at the same time. And uh, the other night, I was uh, working uh, late at night, you know, 8.30 for me. Me, uh, is late at night, uh, and working hard on helping with uh, the care and the finances and, and getting their house settled and all of that. And my daughter walks by, and my son is there too. He's home, and she says to him, she says, wow, it's like dad has six kids now, because uh, we have four kids uh, normally. Uh, but he, she said, it's like the four of us plus mom and dad, plus his mom and dad, her, their grandparents. And uh, it was nice of her to say that. It was nice of her to see and acknowledge the work that I was putting in. Uh, and I felt seen as I was sitting there at my desk, papers all over the place, working feverishly to try to make good things happen for my parents. Um, do you ever felt like somebody sees you? Think of a moment in your life when you just felt really seen, like you were in the midst of something that, that people didn't have to notice, but they noticed, and they called it out, and they saw you. Now, this is kind of, for my daughter, this daughter, uh, it's kind of like a superpower for her. Um, she does this all the time. On my birthday, I'll get this long note, and she'll be calling out things that she's observed that nobody else will have observed. And it's incredibly encouraging to read that kind of affirmation, right? Um, 
Well, today we're going to talk about seeing and being seen. Uh, it's nice to be seen. We are in week two of our Advent series. This one, uh, this week is entitled Our Humble Estate. You'll see why as we uh, dig into the text a little bit more. And we want to talk about being seen and seeing. And I'm going to give you the whole sermon right now. So we're just going to start off. You've got the whole thing. Uh, my first point is going to be that Mary sees herself. The second point is going to be that uh, God sees Mary. And then the third point is going to be that Mary sees God. Okay? So look, I did it from memory even. So you can do it too. When you go home this afternoon, somebody says, what was the sermon about? You'd be able to say, well, Mary sees herself. Um, God sees Mary. And Mary sees God. Amen. We're done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, now, this connects not just to Mary, it's to us too. You know, we have a humble estate in which to see ourselves. Um, God sees us just as he sees Mary. And our call, like Mary's, is to magnify the Lord with our souls. So let's dive in. Mary sees herself. One of the greatest blessings in life is to have a right perspective about yourself. I am always encouraged and haunted by this statement that C.S. Lewis makes. Um, he says in Mere Christianity, which by the way, if you're exploring, if you're with us today and you're exploring Christianity, this book by C.S. Lewis is an amazing way for you to kind of dig in and try to understand what the Christian faith is about. It's called Mere Christianity. And C.S. Lewis humbly says this. He says, I wish I had got a bit further with humility myself. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief, the comfort of the of taking off the, f the fancy dress off, excuse me, uh, getting rid of the false self with all its look at me and aren't I a good boy and its posing and posturing. To get even, listen to this, to get even near it, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. That's what a, a humble self-perception, a right self-perception is like. It's like a drink in the middle of a desert. It's freeing. It is a blessing. And Mary leads off with uh, just sort of a, an understanding of this. She sees herself rightly. Why do I say that? Because she gives her condition a name. She calls it her humble estate. Her humble estate. Uh, what an interesting phrase. Uh, it refers to sort of who she is and the condition that she's in at the same time. Mary's in a humble estate. Now, what does that mean? Well, it probably is the intersection of a number of different things that are going on in her life. She's young. She's female in a time and a place when that had tremendous significance. It always has significance, but it, it meant certain things then. She's unmarried. She's childless. She's isolated. Um, I'll explain what I mean by that. And she's Jewish explain what I mean by that. To be Jewish, we'll kind of go backwards to these young, female, unmarried, childless, isolated Jewish. To be Jewish uh, at the time was to be part of a beleaguered minority living in the shadow of a past glory, right? Can you imagine that? Part of a community that has, has experienced tremendous glory. Think of the days of King David and how awesome the nation of Israel was. They're in the middle. They, they have that memory seared into them. They, they're longing to, and hoping to get back to that. But right now, they are under the oppressive thumb of the, the unassailable Roman Empire. Right? 
They cannot do anything to get out from under the pressure of the Roman Empire. And, and like all Jews of the day, Mary would have been deeply connected, deeply identified with what it, was, what it meant to be Jewish. This wasn't just some theoretical thing. It was baked into the culture to have this longing for the glory days of past and this hope that God would send a Messiah to them to usher in a, a new season of glory. It was something that they talked about. They discussed around the table. They prayed for. They hoped that this would happen. It was, it was very fresh. It was baked into her, to her identity to have this, this sense of it's not what things are not what they should be. We're in a humble, and I'm in a humble estate. She would have been intimately familiar with this collective hope that all Jews shared. Now you see, if you want more evidence of this being the case that is baked into the culture, just look at the way when Jesus does, you know, enter into Jerusalem, the, the, the messianic fervor that accompanies that entrance into Jerusalem. They're all lining up on the street and, and laying down their jackets and palm fronds and, and praising God because they think this is the moment when the oppression is going to be turned around. And, and look at the constant vigilance of the Romans. You see this all throughout the New Testament against any sort of rebellion or uprising within the nation of Israel. It was like a powder keg. Because there was so much energy and anticipation around Israel being moved out of their humble estate. And Mary is identified with all of that. But not only was she a Jew, she was isolated. She lived in Nazareth, which was a small village in one of the remotest regions of Israel. And then within that small village in the remotest region in a beleaguered nation of Israel, she was young. Probably not much beyond what we would call a child. And she was female. And she was unmarried. And she was childless. She had not yet fulfilled her expected duty within society at that time. And she would have been anxious about being able to do so. And this is where we begin to connect in with this story, I believe. When we grasp what Mary means when she's referring to her humble estate. You know, we need to sort of now step back and say, well, what, what, is, what is my humble estate? What is the nature of my humble estate? How am I like Mary in this? Now, we live in probably the wealthiest place of the most powerful nation in the world. So, wait, can we connect with Mary on this? Well, yeah, we can. Well, how, how can we? Because we're human beings. It's as simple as that. You ever, you ever marvel at when you think about some of the most powerful, amazing people in the world who have the most money or the most power, how fragile they still seem? Right? You can be in the most wealthy place in the most powerful city and still be in a humble estate. In fact, this goes back to that point of seeing yourself rightly, seeing ourselves rightly, that the human condition is a, is a, a condition of humility, of, of humble, being in a humble estate. We suffer 
we get sick. Some of you are grappling with sickness or various ailments this morning, and we've prayed for you. We've walked with you on the journey of suffering. Um, We experience lack. Some of us this morning have a thing that we wish would be true about us or our life, and it's not. And we are daily living in that sense of lack, and it creates this longing and this, this sense of humility that we are in a humble estate. Some of us this morning are experiencing um, a lack. It's something that we did have, but now we no longer have. And the loss of that which we enjoyed and we became accustomed to and we embraced and we wrapped our identity maybe around it and it, it nurtured us on some level and now it's gone. And so we feel this tremendous hole inside of us, this sense of lack because of something that we've lost. And we sin. You know, I think about the Roman oppression. It was like this, it was like this, can you imagine living in a condition like this? I mean, you know, if you were living in in Ukraine right now, you would experience something like this. But could you imagine living under an authority that just could really ultimately take your life at any moment and had so much control over everything that you did and you just you were just sort of hemmed in you were locked in by this and it was like this heavy cloud that was hanging over every you every day and and and, and so you just had to live under that sense of oppression and when we move to the new testament we realize that spiritually, every single one of us actually lives under that kind of oppression on a daily basis because of sin. That's what sin is like. That's what sin is. It's like this heavy oppression on us that shapes and colors the way that we see the world and the, 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 the struggle. When we, when we, this morning I was thinking about coming to preach even and, and I thought to myself, you know, I was like kind of sideways. I was like, ah, which is what you normally feel, you know, before you're going to go preach God's word. And, and, and I just thought to myself, you know, if I, if I could just get rid of all sin in my life, I could look at this in a pure way and there would be nothing painful about it. Sin, it colors and taints and covers It's this oppressive thing. Now, by God's grace, we don't have to live under that oppression because to fast forward the story, Jesus will come and he'll die on the cross, a toning sacrifice for sin and be raised again to demonstrate that once and for all, God had achieved victory over sin in Jesus Christ and we can put our faith in Jesus Christ and we can begin to have the the oppression of sin broken in our lives and we walk with Jesus and the Holy Spirit fills us. We get more and more of that and increasing freedom, freedom over time until one day we'll be completely freed when Jesus returns, when the new heaven and new earth is established. That's the overarching story of the Bible and it's a beautiful story and you can jump into it this morning by putting your faith in Jesus Christ if you've not done so yet in your life, okay? So it's a good story. But right now, we're living in what scholars refer to the already not yet, right? It hasn't quite happened like we would want it to happen. So we struggle. We still feel that oppression. This is our humble estate. This is our spiritual poverty. This is our spiritual poverty. 
I want you to try and make it personal this morning. Uh, When I say spiritual poverty, what comes to your mind? I've got some things very clear in my mind related to my life. When I say spiritual poverty, when I say humble estate, what comes, Holy Spirit, we, you know, when we're gathered like this, the Holy Spirit is present with us and, and God can draw up insights that maybe we didn't have about ourselves. What is your humble estate? All right? You need that as we go through this text. You need to know what that is because that's going to help you connect in to where we're headed. In that humble estate, God sees Mary. And he sees you too. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, on all generations will call me blessed. God's looked on her humble estate. Now, what is this referring to? Uh, is it referring to the blessing of having a baby that she'll get to fulfill the expectation on her as a young woman in that time in that place? Uh, or is it referring to the blessing of the advent of the Messiah? The Messiah coming to finally overthrow the oppression under which the entire nation has been struggling. And the answer seems to be both. And out of that, we can draw a kind of a spiritual principle. And this was ministering to me as I was thinking about this, that when God blesses, it is often both individual and collective. His blessing, this, God is so awesome that he can bless you in a very specific way that ends up being part of the way he blesses the larger community. And that's a beautiful, powerful thing that God can do. And so we tend to want to separate. Which one? Was it this one or that one? God is so awesome, he just makes it both and. So she's being blessed personally and the nation is going to be blessed through the way that God is blessing her. He has looked on her humble estate. Remember how nice it is to be seen. And what's happening here is that Mary is being seen. But instead of just being seen by another human being, she is being seen by God himself. And God himself sees you. That's one of the points of Mary's story. He sees you. So when you thought of your humble estate and what the nature of your spiritual poverty is, know this morning that God sees you in that humble estate. It's a common theme actually in scripture, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Imagine the eyes of the Lord roaming to search you out, to see you in your humble estate, and to give you strong support in the way that you need it. Uh, Psalm 33, 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. 
Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. You say, well, am I the righteous? Well, if you're in Jesus Christ, you are part of the righteous. So his eye is on you in this special kind of a way. Even if you've messed up, even if you've screwed up, even if you have sinned, if you are in Christ, his eye is upon you. And 1 Peter 3, 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. And you might be asking this morning, I know this is the way I often process these kinds of things. I say, well, that's great in theory, but it does it actually apply to me, right? Are God's eyes on me specifically? And I think Mary's example is instructive here as well. Because the basic principle is that in this life, on this side of the return of Christ, when the world remains fallen and it's broken, uh, part of how we know that the Lord sees us is because he, of his subtle uh, interventions in our lives. So there is an element where God does, he does work in our lives right now um, but also, part of how we know this to be true is, is by faith. When we hear the words of Scripture, the words that talk about God scanning and looking and seeing, partly we have to take that on faith right now in this season. Now, think about Mary. She is still in her humble estate, right? When she sings this song of praise about being seen by God, she's still in her humble estate. She's, she's still under the oppression of um, the, the, uh, the Romans. And now it's almost even worse. Like things have gotten a little bit worse in some ways, at least from, from her own posture towards the world, because she's still young, she's still unmarried, but now she's pregnant. And the only explanation is a private miracle. So she's in a difficult situation when she's singing this song of praise. Not all the details of her, her hope, her promise have been, have been worked out. And, and that's how we live as followers of Jesus Christ as well. We live in this place where, you know, we have the promise, but it's not fulfilled yet completely. We are pregnant, but we've not given birth. That's what life in Christ is like. And, and I just love Mary. She, her example here is, is, is just amazing because in front of the potential of their, the shame that she might experience within the community around her for not being married and, and, and being pregnant, in the midst of that, you know, she latches onto what's most important, which is, which is what God has seen, what God has said, and what God does, and what God promises in her life. And that's the that's kind of true north for us as well. And so God has given her he's given her some signs. So it's not that he's just completely leaving her without anything, but he hasn't answered all the questions yet. He hasn't crossed all the Ts yet and dotted all the I's and placed all the periods yet. She's living in this kind of in the meantime space. And that's I find very instructive for me and for us as we think about what it means to hope in this moment. We have some things. We have those, 
That moment when you came to faith in Christ, when suddenly the person of Christ made sense to you, you have, you have that sense of, of, of reading the scripture and having it come alive to you. You have that, the, the, the comfort and the encouragement of the community around you. You have the deep insights that reframe. You have blessings from God. You have changes that you didn't expect taking place. You have those initial movements of God in your life, but it's not complete yet. And so you have to live in faith. Just like Mary. The point is this. He will give you what you need to live in that hope. That's one thing we know. He will give you what you need to live in that hope. And it might be a sign or it might just be a call to faith. And he will give you that faith to be able to persist. So what is your humanity? What is your suffering? What is your sin? What is the nature of your humble state? you too are pregnant with hope in the midst of it because God sees you. But it's not just that he sees you. There's something about God that's particularly powerful and Mary sees it when she sees God. And this has to be one of the greatest lines in the entire Bible. It it really is a good way to summarize the purpose of our lives. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. To magnify something is to make it larger, right? How do you, you can't make God larger, but you can make the perception of God more evident through your life. I mean, think of that. You put a magnifying glass over um, some words and suddenly they just pop with clarity and with, with they're larger. And it's like Mary's life is this little magnifying glass that goes over the words, over the person of God and and he, he pops I used to play the guitar and the whole deal with the guitar, right, is that you wanted to uh, have the right kind of wood and you want to have it shaped properly and then you want to have the reinforcements in the guitar to be well uh, placed so that what? So that when the string is plucked, there would be the greatest possible resonance of the tone. Mary is a magnifying glass. Mary is a really good guitar. Just... The resonance of God's glory is manifest in her. And and the sights and the sounds that she's magnifying are these. Their holiness and mercy. The holiness of God and the mercy of God. Luke 1.49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And how did he do that? See, this is when Mary sees God. This is what she's seeing. And And holy is his name. And probably in this context, what holiness is referring to there is just the awesome power of God. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's had mercy on Mary in her humble estate, just like he has mercy on us. And this is kind of what blows my mind. And later, because later when this child is born and goes to the cross and then Jesus rises from the dead, the apostle Paul will say very famously in the book of Romans, he'll say that in the person of Jesus, God's accomplishing two things. He is both being just, which is the holiness side of it, Right? And the justifier, which is the mercy side of it. So there's this, this common thread running through the person of Christ that starts even in the call uh, that is on Mary to be the one who would give birth to Jesus. All kinds of beautiful resonances in the person of Mary shooting forth the glorious sound of God's holiness and God's mercy as manifest through the person of Jesus Christ, not just to Mary, but to you 
into me. And this is really what God wants to do with your soul as we finish up this morning um, and just clear some space for a little bit of prayer time here at the beginning, towards the beginning of our Advent series. Um, He wants us, he's inviting us to magnify him in our bodies, in our souls, in our emotions, in our spirit, in our minds. God is inviting us to magnify him in our personhood. And you say, well, I can't do that. Uh, I don't have the skills and the gifts and the whatever is needed to do that. But actually you do. Are you in a humble estate? Then you do. See, that's all that's required that you bring to this whole endeavor. You bring your humble estate. You bring your spiritual poverty. And you let God play the string. You let, you let that poverty be the magnifi- magnification of God's glory. So, so as we enter into the season, as we think about the coming weeks, and maybe you feel expectations and pressures of all kinds on you, I want to just invite you to do something very simple, which is this morning to get in touch with your humble estate. What is your spiritual poverty? What is your spiritual? Just bring that before the Lord that he, first of all, might see it. And the challenge for me in this is, you know, I don't, by nature, I don't like being in a humble estate. Maybe some of you resonate with that. Um, So for me, I have to accept my humble estate. That's the hardest thing for me. And then I have to embrace it. Meaning I got to be willing to talk about it and, and just let it be part of my life. And then lastly, I come to the place of knowing, of cherishing it. Because I discover that it's in my humble estate where God's power is most manifest, where his light shines through me. So that's the invitation this morning as we finish up. How can we follow in the footsteps of Mary? What is your spiritual poverty today? And what would you like to bring before the Lord for him to see it. So John's going to open up the communion table in our prayer time, so I'm going to hand it over to you. Thanks, Andrew. What a gift it is um, to be able to be seen um, the way we want to be seen. Um, Sometimes the perception that others have of us is a little bit off, right? The way that we want to be seen, and what a gift it is um, to have a God who sees us. I think 